The last page has been turned on my most recent read. I am enjoying a fresh cup of tea because it is currently absolutely tipping it down outside. Classic April weather already and it's only the first. And I am aching after donating what felt like a metric ton of books, both hardback and paperback, to a local charity shop. As you know, I like to talk about different genres on here, but I do have my favourites and I try to focus on them because you really don't want to hear me talking monotone about a book I've never read before or reluctantly read because I felt I had to, right? (laughs) Anyway, this episode is going to be a bit different to previous ones, but the topic is still 100% book focused. I just happen to be talking about all of the works by a particular author rather than just one of them. It's been a bit of a mixed bag this week when it comes to my reading habits. I have picked up and finished a few books by new authors and even better I have managed to pick up a book that I had previously abandoned and I finished it which felt like a massive accomplishment at the time because I really struggled when I started to read it initially. Anyway, if you've listened before, you'll know that when I hit a reading slump, I tend to go for the familiar in order to read myself out of it. I don't like to admit defeat and ignore books because that way tends to lie a year of no reading for me as I've discovered in the past. This reading slump was no different. Quite often, I will just pick up a few books off my shelf and read them, and then I find my way back to the books on my TBR. This time I ended up adding a few, okay, 15 in actual fact, new books to my collection in the form of the final books by this now sadly deceased author. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion filled and ready to roll, all of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I take you on a journey through the fictional characters and stories created by author Joanna Lindsay, as I talk about the revolution of historical romance and her part in it. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. This week is admittedly pretty different to previous ones in that I'm not going to be focusing on a single novel. Therefore, the spoiler promise doesn't quite stand its ground because I'm not going to be highlighting a specific story though I will be talking about one family, the Mallorys, quite a lot. If you aren't familiar with Joanna Lindsay, then you're in for a treat, even if you aren't a huge fan of the historical romance genre. She is the reason why Fabio is the face of romantic heroes the world over, and I'm going to get into that in a little while. However, for now, let's talk about Lindsay and her contributions to the world of romance, especially pirates, Vikings and Regency rakes. I also want to reassure you that this is not going to be a two-hour journey through the 50 novels that she wrote during her 42-year career. Her first book, Captive Bride, was written on a whim when she was just 25 and had been married for seven years. And that was the start of what ended up being an incredibly successful and long career. 
only ending with her death from lung cancer in October 2019. Her books have sold almost 60 million copies worldwide. And I have to be honest, I can still remember the first time I picked up historical romance. I was 13 and in need of a break from Stephen King. Yes, I was one of those people. I didn't go in with high hopes that I was going to read something that would shape a lot of my reading for at least the next decade, but that's definitely what happened. I was immediately transfixed. The stories were so fantastical without being fantasy. The idea of a handsome man sweeping me off my feet and taking me away from the dull village life I lived was enough to make me go and scour the shelves of the small library and borrow every book I possibly could. Though many people have likely never picked up historical romance novel, and some might not have heard of Joanna Lindsay even, they will definitely recognise the covers of her books for just one reason. Fabio. I have to be honest, if I look at some of the covers too closely, I get a little perturbed by the fact that it's quite obvious every man of the cover of Lindsay's books beginning in 1987 when he debuted on the Viking-themed novel Hearts Aflame and 1992 when he appeared on what is apparently his favourite step-back cover for the novel A Man of My Dreams is him. In that time, he was also the futuristic but barbarian warrior Chalon Lysantere on the cover of Warrior's Woman, which you will have seen I read at the end of 2022, as well as Fallon Vanier for the sequel, the guy who ends up marrying Chalon's daughter. And then, of course, he was the Regency pirate turned titled Rake James Mallory, probably my favourite historical romance hero ever as well as the pictorial inspiration for his brother-in-law, Warren Anderson, on the cover of The Magic of You, which came out a few years later. The funny thing is that the covers of these novels are something of a double-edged sword as far as readers and detractors are concerned. On the one hand, you get a pretty good idea of who the author saw as the hero, and on the other hand, there is no denying the type of book you're reading. And this is where the whole romance is a tacky genre option comes into play. For some reason that I have never been able to understand when it comes to romance, so many seem to view the genre in a negative light, whether they've read it or not. It could be the covers, it could be the subject matter, but whatever it is, they fail to take into account the role it has played in keeping much of the publishing industry afloat. It's one of the best-selling genres on the market, and while others floundered, still people flocked to buy romance, whether by Colleen Hoover, Julia Quinn, or Joanna Lindsay. So what is it about Lindsay that made her so popular? Captive Bride was released five years after the term Bodice Ripper was coined for the novel The Flame and the Flower by Kathleen E. Woodywiss, which is also the book credited with invigorating the romance genre for more modern audiences. For me, I think consistency was key. I found Joanna Lindsay's books at a time when I needed a bit of comfort and reassurance. I was a chubby teenager who stopped growing upwards after reaching just four foot eleven. I had no confidence in myself, my abilities or my experience. But in these romance novels, I could escape to somewhere where I imagined a pirate foiling in love with me. Or I was able to reform a rake who was so handsome that women fainted at his feet should he so much as smile at them. It was, and to a degree still is, a comfort mechanism. 
whenever things seem like they're not going the way I need them to for my sanity, I know that I can turn to these books and find something in them resembling escapism. In 1985, Lindsay introduced the world to the family who are my version of the Bridgertons. If you've listened to me for any time at all, you'll know that I'm not a massive fan of Julia Quinn's extensive family because the Mallory's got there first. Love Only Once tells the story of rebellious Regina Mallory and profligate rake Nicholas Eden. He is less than popular with her overprotective family, but she is determined she is going to have him. There is lots of debauchery and, as often is the way in these tales, he lets himself be caught, though he does seem to make a show of fighting against being forced to settle down with the lady he has ruined. Three years later in 1988, Anthony Mallory was reintroduced in Tender Rebel. The youngest brother, he too is resistant to falling in love, but then he meets the wealthy Scottish heiress Rosalind Chadwick, who needs to get married to protect herself from her unscrupulous extended family. Of course, he has to act the hero and gets himself wed to a woman who is less than receptive to his many charms. 1990 heralded the arrival of the pirate lord James Mallory and his unwitting bride Georgina Anderson in Gentle Rogue. This was the first Joanna Lindsay novel I actually brought new. I remember having to order it because it wasn't stocked by default in any of my local bookshops. There were only two. Waterstones didn't have anything on the high street, at least down here. So we had W.H. Smith and a two-story shop called Volume One, which had everything but the book that I wanted. I was determined that I wasn't going to take a chance and hope it found its way onto a second-hand bookshelf somewhere at some point. 33 years later, this book remains my favourite of her creations because James Mallory is the goat when it comes to romantic heroes. He's smart, he's charming, sly and sarcastic and I happily reread this one on a regular basis. Despite there still being a number of Mallory men to write about with the option for more with The Next Generation having been created... Georgina Anderson brought with her four handsome older brothers, three of whom were single and ready to mingle, Warren, Drew and Boyd, and thus began the latter part of her 12-book saga, which became known as the Mallory Anderson series. Book four introduced us to the youngest of Edward Mallory's daughters, Amy. A somewhat headstrong 18-year-old, she knows what she wants, and that's Warren Anderson from the moment they meet. And much like her cousin Regina, she isn't backward in coming forwards, much to Warren's horror. Throw in a kidnapping, the there is only one bed trope, and you have a heroine who is definitely getting what she wants, because the hero slowly comes to realise that he is actually infatuated with the obsessive teen. Though I did continue to collect the books after 1993, I went back to buying most of them second-hand, there are a few really good bookshops in the area that seem to get a regular stock of American mass markets, and these are definitely the ones that have the best covers. Even better, when I took a trip to visit a friend in Reno a few years ago, or decades ago actually now I think about it, I stocked up and almost completed my collection as it stood at the time, coming home from the US with an additional bag full of nothing but books. What's changed? So what happened to change this? I can't say that I stopped reading historical romance, nor can I say that I fell out of love with the genre because that would be a lie. 
I moved horizontally after discovering the novels written by Julie Garwood, especially her take on the Scottish Highlands. But then she turned her hand to thrillers and I started trying out new books by new authors. This year, after hitting a momentary bump in my reading road, I picked up the later books by Joanna Lindsay in her Mallory series and decided to start where I left off back in the 1990s. But something had changed. Was it what was different? Was it the content? Was it me as a reader? Or was it something else entirely? After probably 15 years of not buying any Lindsay novels, I finally took the plunge and went to the website for World of Books, where I managed to pick up the ones that I had missed, not only in the Mallory Anderson series, but also a number of standalones and some late additions to series that were written in the 1990s and earlier. After reading some of the later 1990s and early 2000s Mallory books, including Love Me Forever and Captive of My Desires, I started to see a pattern emerging that previously I had been incredibly adept at ignoring. Love Me Forever is definitely the stronger of the two books I mentioned. Derek Mallory, cousin of Regina and Amy and son of the oldest Mallory, Jason, He wins a lady in an auction after realising that she is actually gentry and after a few false starts, the pair fall in love. But the way in which they met is a barrier to any sort of happily ever after. Captive of My Desires seems a return to the high seas with one of the Anderson brothers, Drew. We have pirates, kidnapping and unwilling cabin companions. Yes, again. It was after reading these that I invested a bit of time and money in completing my Mallory Anderson collection, investing in the final three books in this family saga, That Special Someone, Stormy Persuasion, and Beautiful Tempest. I would like to say that reading these stories gave me pleasure and closure, but that would be one big fat lie. I'm not sure why, but the feeling I got when I read these was one of confusion, It was as though the books had been written by an entirely different person. I guess I have to give Lindsay credit for wanting to give us an ending to James and Anthony's stories with the tales of their daughters Judith and Jack getting their own happily ever afters. But all I really believe I got with both Stormy Persuasion and Beautiful Tempest was a dissatisfactory retelling of other books I'd already read and actually enjoyed. The funny thing in all of this is that when I picked up and read Stormy Persuasion, which is the story of Anthony and Rosalind's oldest daughter, Judith, I didn't realise that I'd already read it and shelved it back in 2016, two years after it was released. I even gave it a rating and a brief review on Goodreads at the time. I admit that I read a lot. (laughs) If you're a reader, you know what I mean. But I have never actually forgotten I've read a book before. Sure, I have forgotten I own a book, but I haven't ever forgotten reading it completely. But in the case of Stormy Persuasion, I did. Judith was a frustrating and irritating character who lacked the gumption and strength of her parents. And while Nathan, her hero, was interesting enough, the story almost felt as though it was a paint-by-numbers affair. Woman is young and pretty. Check. Man is attracted and intrigued. Check. Man and woman are stuck in boat at sea. Check. They have sex before marriage. Check. I have to be brutally honest here because you know that's what I pride myself on when it comes to these reviews. 
This is what I think is lacking in the later Lindsay novels, the newness that she provided us with in the beginning. I could happily reread Gentle Rogue or A Man of My Dreams or Warrior's Woman and never question why I enjoyed them every single time. These later books don't only lack the vibrant step backs and slightly cliche but fun stories, they are faded facsimiles trying and failing to garner the success and excitement of their predecessors. Apart from being what I personally feel are poor copies of the original books, another thing I have struggled with when it comes to these newer books is the covers. Even the reprints of Lindsay's novels lack the excitement of the originals. Gone are the swarthy men with torn shirts and the swooning women at their feet or clinging desperately to their side. These books reflected the content you were getting and still get when you pick up a historical romance. For a time in the early 2000s, the covers were gilt lettering and photographs of flowers or houses or something that really had no relevance to the story. And then at some point after 2010 or so, everything changed again. Pretty pictures of girls in heavy brocade dresses or Regency evening wear, staring wistfully out at something in the distance. It's as though the cover designers felt that, as readers, a picture of the heroine is what draws us to read the romance novel. Yeah, not in my case, anyway. Every single day, I am grateful for the fact that I started reading romances when the covers were what I consider a proper reflection of the content – And the one that probably makes me saddest is the reissued cover for Gentle Rogue. Over 50% of that novel is based at sea on a pirate ship. The heroine disguised as a cabin boy and James Mallory as the pirate who uses the knowledge that she is a girl to his advantage. So what would you expect to see on the cover? A ship? A handsome captain and his oblivious heroine? No. On the reissued cover, you have a picture of a manor house. Help me out here. Seriously, why? The covers were, for me, a lot of what made historical romances specifically as popular as they were in the 80s and 90s. Handsome men, beautiful women, stunning clothing and exciting backdrops. Sure, the covers also made the books a target for those who considered romantic fiction to be less important and something of a joke in the publishing world with some people even having the nerve to say that if you read romance exclusively, you couldn't classify yourself as a reader. Seriously, you couldn't classify yourself as a reader if you read romance exclusively because that didn't count. But these covers made the books stand out. They made them appealing and different. And often I find myself pulling out one of those books from the shelf when I need a comfort break or I need to escape from reality. Ultimately, that's what a book is for. It's to give you a few hours away from the full-time job, the housework, or just general everyday life. This hasn't exactly been a traditional review, as I have taken a look at a complete body of work and then selected a number of books to highlight. However, I figured that I could select one of Lindsay's earlier books and one of her later ones, and do something of a comparison. And to make it fair, I'm going to look at the second and eleventh books in the Mallory Anderson series, Tender Rebel and Stormy Persuasion. I thought that selecting these two would offer a good comparison, as Tender Rebel is the story of Anthony and Rosalind, and Stormy Persuasion is about their daughter Judith, and was actually released 26 years later, in 2014. 
As you know, I do like to provide a balanced perspective when it comes to the books I look at. And while my personal opinion will be what it is, taking a look at reviews from both ends of the spectrum can help. So what did other people think of Tender Rebel? Ashley gave the book one star and said, I am so mad that this book was terrible. On my Mallory rereading spree, this was another that was close to the end. And I was so excited to read Tony's book. He's such a dramatic and occasionally sweet character in every other Mallory book. But he was such an asshole in this one. Rosalind was irritatingly stubborn, but Tony just kept making the problems ten times worse than they needed to be. He had a total inability to see things from any perspective but his own. And damn it all, but he's just going to only going to say something once, and it had better be obeyed without question. Just two immovable characters that never actually managed to resolve any of their conflicts. I honestly have no clue how their marriage was successful after this book ended. And while both characters were wrong, Tony was wrong, and I'm not normally a big advocate for groveling in romance novels, but dang it, Tony deserves to grovel. The biggest source of conflict for me in this novel was whether or not Tony would adequately grovel by the end. And sadly, he did absolutely no groveling. Biggest disappointment of this series. Quite often, I'm surprised by the number of reviews an older book has, especially when it's not in the fantasy or science fiction genre. And this is no different. This book was released in 1988 and totally exceeded my expectations when it came to not only the overall score, but also the number of ratings and reviews it received. The book has an impressive 4.12 with 15,746 ratings and 522 reviews. Less than 1% of those reviews gave the book a score of one star. As I say every single week when it comes to opinion on books, views are personal and therefore while many may have a similar opinion, it's still subjective. So when it comes to picking a book for yourself, it's always worth looking at more than one review if you're not sure, because everyone's opinion is different. Monica gave this book five stars. Her review seems to be driven a lot by nostalgia. I love Joanna Lindsay. Her books always make me smile, cry, laugh, and just really enjoy my time reading. This book is number two in the Mallory novels, and once again, Joanna does a great job in making you love the Mallory men and hate them at the same time. This is the story of Anthony Mallory and Lady Rosalind Chadwick. Rosalind needs to marry in a rush so that her cousin doesn't marry her and steal the Chadwick fortune. Rosalind does not have Anthony Mallory on her list of possible candidates, but when he first sees her across the garden at one of the parties, he is smitten and decides that she will be his next conquest. The story is entertaining because Rosalind is Scottish and when her temper is up, she breaks into her Scottish brogue and that turns Anthony Mallory on even more. You are once again seeing Regina and Nicholas Eden, James, Jason, Edward, Jeremy Mallory and the whole Mallory clan. The Mallory brothers are surprised when Anthony Mallory decides to ask Rosalind to marry him. Their marriage is one that Rosalind doesn't want because Anthony is a rake, and she knows that her heart will only be broken because you can never change a rake. I loved how Rosalind would make rules for their marriage, expecting Anthony to be thrilled with them, such as letting him still have mistresses. 
Normally I would stop here with the reviews and get into my own thoughts, but I honestly feel that in order to represent Joanna Lindsay fairly and also show the massive change that occurred in her writing style between the 80s and the mid to late 2010s, I need to talk about one of her final books, Judith's story, Stormy Persuasion. So what did reviewers think of this? What I guess I also have to make sure to note here is that many Lindsay readers will have followed her from her early career, like me, and their view of her later offerings will have been determined by this, while newer readers will be looking at her work in comparison with other authors available at the time, such as Julia Quinn, Lisa Claypus and Sarah McLean, who have a very different tone and writing style to the historical romance authors who had their heyday in the 20th century. God, that sounds makes it sound like it's so long ago. And I suppose to a point, it, it kind of is. There were a few one-star reviews I could have picked here. One was so funny, it gave me giggles even as I wrote my own two-star review. And I felt I was being generous. However, the review is less than family-friendly. And this podcast is definitely far more on the family-friendly side. But I do heartily encourage you to read the review for yourself. It's by Wendy, Lady Evelyn Quince. Unabridged Bibliophile also gave the book one star and her thoughts pretty much mirror my own. She said, I have no patience for this book. The more I think about it, the more I am surprised that I made it through the whole thing. The first part of the book deals more with the relationship between the family members and just catching new readers up on who everyone is, which is, one, pretty confusing, and two, something that I believe no one even cares about. After spending some time with both cousins, Judy and Jack, all I kept thinking was, I want to know more about Jack and just how disinterested I was with anything to do with Judy. So to wrap up this very short review, because I just don't want to talk about this book any longer, here is a list of my nopes. Both Judy and Jack are written way too immature to be at all believable. Before the author gave their age, I thought they were around 14. Nathan is not a smuggler, and that whole storyline is just ridiculous. The family has gypsy blood, and that's why some of them have the sight. Like, that's not problematic at all. Random kidnapping that is super quickly resolved so we have something to go off in the next book. Seems like the author didn't want to read about Judy either. I have to admit that after reading this book for myself for the second time, I was surprised to see that Stormy Persuasion has an overall score of 4.06 on Goodreads with 4,836 ratings and 409 full reviews. Like Tender Rebel, the number of negative reviews and ratings are very low, while the number of positive four and five star ratings totals 73% of the whole. My Book Addiction read this as an arc on NetGalley before the book was released and gave the story five stars. She said, Stormy Persuasion by Joanna Lindsay is an exciting historical romance. Number 11 in the Mallory Anderson family series, but can be read as a standalone. I loved this tale of sacrifice, family, relationships, pirates, passion, selflessness, romance, and the power of love. This is Judith Mallory and Nathan Tremaine's story. Nathan, a smuggler with a noose around his neck on a covert mission to America looking for redemption, and Judith looking for adventure and love. 
Mallory fans are sure to enjoy Ms. Lindsay's return to the Mallory clan. Even if you haven't read one of the Mallory tales, you will enjoy Stormy Persuasion. It was not hard to follow the storyline and characters. Well written with the most engaging characters and an intriguing as well as interesting storyline and very entertaining indeed. A bit of humour is added to this tale, which is a plus. A new generation of Mallory's are on the horizon. Look out, fans. There is sure to be more coming. I absolutely love this story. I was turning pages as fast as I could and I didn't want to put it down. I would highly recommend this tale. Oh, did I mention the passion, the danger around the corner and the betrayal? Well done. So there you have it. Two different books in the series written 26 years apart with reviews at both ends of the scale. I have to say that it's interesting to see that the scores for both of these books are incredibly similar, but the older book is the one that attracted the larger number of reviews. Okay, so it had a lot more time to get these reviews, but at the same time, it was written before the internet. So a considerable number of the reviews, specifically for Tender Rebel, will either be from rereads by original readers or by new readers who were only recently introduced to Lindsay's work. When it comes down to it, historical romance is a genre that will likely never go away. There is a certain elegance and an element of excitement to be had reading about romance in the time of swashbuckling pirates and glaring lords at balls. Despite my more disappointing foray into the more recently written historical romance, my teenage heart still remembers these earlier books with a considerable amount of fondness. I'm not going to sit here and say that you must read one just to find out what they're all about, but I will say that without authors like Joanna Lindsay opening the door, Bridgerton probably wouldn't exist. We've now stepped into proper spring. At least that's what my calendar says, apparently. And hopefully this means evenings spent on my balcony with a book and a cup of tea. As always, I continue to look for books to add to my wish list and my physical bookshelf. So if there is anything on your TBR that you think I would love, I am not averse to getting more books. So definitely pass those titles on to me. And even better, I am about to buy another set of bookshelves to add to the corner unit in my studio. So there's going to be even more room. On that note, you can send me an email at notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to check out your recommendations. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. If you're already signed up, I hope you enjoyed the first edition that went out on Wednesday. Well... That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish, on Instagram at being bookish pod, on TikTok at being bookish reviews or you can check out my website beingbookish.co.uk. Wow, I should get that printed on a sticker. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and a new book is definitely calling me. Thank goodness the slump is over. So until next time, this is me saying 